Oh, we don't have time for all that. Welcome back to the Cold War <laughs> episode 83. My name is Cameron Riley. How are you, Papa Bear? Doing great. Doing great. Let's talk some business. <laughs> some atomic business. <laughs> so um, what I want to do over the next few episodes is go a little bit deeper into the decision to use the bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to talk about the actual dropping of the bomb for a little while, uh, but I want to go a little bit further to to figure out the decision-making process to use the bomb. Like we had Alex Wellerstein on the show um, from Nuke Map. Yeah, great chat with him. Um, and and we talked a little bit about it, uh, his views on it. Um, uh, you know, we had uh, Jeff on a few episodes before that mm-hmm. from the other Cold War podcast. Got some of his views on it, but I really, uh, it's been it's been a subject that's fascinated me for a long, 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 long time. In fact, I remember um, ten years ago mm. uh, uh, meeting up with uh, J. David Markham in a Jaxio in Corsica. Um, where you and I are going to be in about three weeks, right? Nice. I'm excited. I know. Yeah. Three weeks. It'll be the 10-year anniversary of when I was there with David and, and when I met Chrissy for the first time. Aww. It's going to be awesome. But I remember my first day in Ajaxio, uh, sitting on the beach with David and his wife at the time, Barbara, and um, we got into we – I don't know how we ended up, but we ended up talking about the bomb. And <laughs> Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, me having this conversation with him at the time and, and, and him getting very upset at me because of it. And then he and I had the same conversation in Las Vegas a couple <laughs> of years ago when we were talking about doing this show. And, and, and I was talking about doing this show with him. Right. Um, and he started to get very emotional <laughs> over lunch will, in Las Vegas, and I was like, "I don't think, yeah. I don't think this is going to work." Really, I will try to be anyway. more analytical. Analytical? No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You're an anal therapist, or just an <laughs> anal rapist. Um, uh, so, I want to talk a lot about. Uh, I want to get into the weeds with this because I think it's it's a fascinating subject, and it's not about moralizing. And 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 I you know hopefully you'll keep me um, on the the straight and narrow here and, mm-hmm. and I'm not having it a go at America or, or Truman. I want to understand the process that they right. went through and what happened because when you when you get into the weeds with this and you unpick it, it's very it's very sort of um, confusing and and um, it, it 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy stuff in here. So anyway, let's get into it. All right, so. On the 15th of August, 1945, about a week after the bombing of Nagasaki, Mm -hmm. Truman tasked the US Strategic Bombing Survey to conduct a study on the effectiveness of the aerial attacks on Japan, both the conventional aerial attacks and the atomic aerial attacks. And he wanted to know, did the bombing attacks have an effect on the Japanese surrender. Mm. Now, the survey team included hundreds of American officers, civilians, and enlisted men 
all based in Japan. They interviewed 700 Japanese military, government, and industry officials. They had access to hundreds and hundreds of Japanese wartime documents. Trying to piece together the, the process by which the Japanese finally decided to surrender. Mm-hmm. About a year later, they published their conclusion. And their conclusion was that, ja- that Japan would have probably surrendered in 1945 without the bombings and even without a Soviet declaration of war and without an American invasion. Wow. So this isn't a, a, a revisionist historian view. This isn't a Cameron's a lefty commie view. <laughs> this was the fucking US Strategic Bombing Survey's view published in 1946 that, yeah, based on all of our interviews and all of our research, Japan probably would have surrendered anyway in 1945, even without any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and they, and they made very, um, like you were saying, this is an American report, they made very specific points like, look, the Japanese couldn't shuttle troops around, we controlled the seas around them, we had them blockaded with surface ships, with submarines, the people there were starving to death. I mean, they literally were not in a position to do anything. They had run out of resources, what ships they still had, had no fuel to go out. So when it, when it comes to the ability to wage war or to defend themselves, the Japanese were not able to do that. We, we could hit them willy-nilly anytime we want, and we did. There was nothing they could do about it. The war was over. And they wanted, and, and they wanted to surrender, or at least large components of the government and military uh, wanted to surrender, uh, including the emperor, importantly, which we'll get into. Um, now, here's a, here's a quote from the Strategic Bombing Survey's conclusions. It cannot be said that the atomic bomb convinced the leaders who affected the peace of the necessity of surrender. The decision to surrender, influenced in part by knowledge of the low state of popular morale, had been taken at least as early as the 26th of June at a meeting of the Supreme War Guidance Council in the presence of the Emperor. Now, for people who don't have the timeline fresh in their mind, the bombings happened in the first week, week and a half of August, Mm -hmm. 6th and 9th of August. So this is six weeks, five or six weeks before the bombings, the the nuclear bombings, um, the, the decision to surrender had been made. Now, that's not to say, of course, that there was unanimous agreement on behalf of the Japanese, right. uh, particularly among some of the senior members of the military, the war minister, the chiefs of staff of the army and the navy. They wanted to fight on. We understand that. Mm-hmm. But that's why the emperor was brought into the discussions. Yeah. Um, according to the Strategic Bombing Survey report again, they said so long as the emperor openly supported such a policy and could be presented to the country as doing so, this is the policy of surrendering and accepting the Potsdam terms when they came out, Mm -hmm. the military, which had fostered and lived on the idea of complete obedience to the emperor, could not effectively rebel. And if, if I could give some context for that, ever since March of 1945, when the emperor went going, he was going through Tokyo after it had been firebombed, he knew for himself, he could see for himself, he didn't need advisors, that the war was over. And like you said, there were those in the military that still wanted to fight on. Their attitude was that 
If one in one ten able-bodied Japanese could kill one invading soldier, then not only was staving off defeat, but victory was possible. They would literally bleed the allies to death. So this is the mentality that you're talking about. And eventually, like you were saying, the emperor is going to get more and more involved because he's he's going to put a word in here. He's going to put a word in there. He's going to talk to uh, certain people. But as the bombing, as the fire bombings go on, he's going to get more and more forceful. And it takes his intervention to, to to eventually bring this to some kind of conclusion, and which is completely ironic because the Americans were ignoring the issue of the emperor when they knew they knew behind the scenes that they needed him to end the war. And and from what I understand, it was highly unusual for the emperor to get involved in anything to do with the military. Absolutely. I mean, the emperor. Was a was the head of state. He was, as we've talked about many times on the series, he was considered to be uh, a god, the god emperor, and he tended not to come down off the throne to get involved with these sorts of things. He was a he was a spiritual, religious uh, figurehead. Um, uh, uh, so it was it was highly unusual for him to get involved and go, yeah, you know what, guys, uh, yeah, hello, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm playing the emperor, playing the emperor card here. <laughs> right. uh, don't do this often, but uh, it was like it was yeah. presidential veto. Um, but instead of using it every other day, he, yeah. he, he he used it very very rarely, and he did. They they managed to get him the peace party. Uh, managed to to get him to wade into the discussions, and again, as a as a the the U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey wrote, um, the military couldn't really effectively argue with the emperor because the because of the whole right. uh, state Shinto religion that they had built up around the military, complete obedience to the emperor. If the emperor said, "Hey, I think we need to call this thing off," it ain't working out. Right. They they couldn't do anything about it. <clears throat> anyway, so um, the one thing the report does say is that the atomic bombings sped up the process of the surrender. The war minister and the, the two chiefs of staff were looking for a way mm. to surrender without losing face, according to the report. And the nuclear attacks gave them that. You know, they were able to say after the nuclear attacks, well, there's no way that we can defend the home islands against further atomic attacks. They didn't know the Americans only had two bombs. Right. The Americans were claiming they had like 20. There was a guy, actually, an American who had been captured. He was being held prisoner. And uh, he was some Air Force dude. Got shot down, I think. Um, He had no fucking idea, but uh, (laughs) they said to him, hey, how many more of these bombs? And he goes, oh, they got 20. Oh, they got 20 and they're going to drop them over the next week. Oh. And it, he he just he was just making it up. He had no idea, but they didn't know he had no idea. So um they did. They were they were producing or planning on producing more if 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 they needed to, the Americans. They were they thought they I think they were gonna have a third within a few weeks. Um now that they knew they worked. Um, they had a little bit more fissile material, but they weren't able to produce more than like three or four quickly. Um, so it, it it did allow them to surrender without losing face. They're like, well, there's nothing we can do. It's over. But the report strongly suggests that the Japanese would have surrendered anyway and probably pretty quickly. Yeah. After the emperor right. got involved. Yeah, certainly before the year was out. And not to throw... Um 
and this was just so amazing, and I'm sure this struck you as as strange as well. Some of the documents that we had to go through weren't even released until like 1989. This stuff has been kept locked up pretty tight. Some of the notes were destroyed on purpose. So it took a while for a lot of brilliant people to try to piece this together. That's what, for for me, makes this so fascinating. And we don't have to talk about it now, but there's um, another school of thought that says that the atomic bombs did not give Tokyo the cover it needed to surrender that another event did, which I'm sure we'll go into later. And so you, it, it, all the stuff, like you said, is very complex, is very interwoven, and we will never really know the full story. Yeah, that's true. Because we, we don't know a lot about what went on in, in America's military and political circles at this time. We we have some of it and, and some historians have tried to piece it together, but there's a lot of stuff that just wasn't written down, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But I think the other event that you're talking about is um, the Soviets. Now, the Japanese, as we know, we've talked about this before, had been trying to get the Soviets <laughs> to intercede with the United States for quite a while. Um, of course, at this juncture, Japan still had a neutrality pact with the Soviets, mm-hmm. um, uh, and the Soviets had been stalling. We've talked about before that uh, Sato, who was the Japanese ambassador to the Soviet Union, had been trying to meet with Molotov. Molotov kept putting him off. Um, he was putting him off because the Soviets didn't really want <laughs> right. a, a, a peaceful end to the war. They wanted to invade Manchuria. They, they wanted to get back a lot of the stuff that uh, the Japanese had taken from them in the 1905-06 war. They wanted to get back in there, 0405 or 0506? 0405, I think. Yeah, so the o- o- 0405, yeah, yeah. The Sino-Soviet, uh, Sino-Russian war. Yeah. Um, uh, so they were putting it off until they got to Potsdam and, and, and you know, they could declare war and all that kind of stuff uh, on the 9th of August, which they did. Mm-hmm. Soviets declared war on the 9th of August. Now, again, um, keep in mind that Stalin had said, going way back to, I think, Yalta uh, earlier in 1945, that they would declare war on the Japanese three months after the end of the war with Germany, right? Which they they did to the fucking day. They did that. Um, that was the plan. He yeah. agreed that with Roosevelt. He agreed that with uh, Truman at uh, Potsdam. Uh, but the Americans dropped the first bomb on the sixth of August and the second on the 9th of August, which was the day that Russia also declared war on Japan. So, uh, bomb gets dropped on the sixth of August. Second bomb gets dropped on the 9th. Uh, Russia declares war on the 9th. Japan makes the decision to finally uh, accept the terms uh, as presented and surrender on August 10th, and they publicly accepted the Potsdam terms on August the 15th. If I could just mention something real quick, a side note to the Potsdam. I did not know this. Remember when uh, Truman... Uh, pulls Stalin aside and he tells him about the bomb, but he doesn't give him too much detail. He goes, we've got this fantastic new bomb and Stalin plays it off. Either later on that day or the next day, something like that, I can't remember, Stalin goes up to Truman and he goes, by the way, I want to let you know that Japan's been trying to talk to us about negotiating a surrender. But Stalin knew that Truman knew because of Stalin's spies. And, And Stalin goes, well, I've been stalling him. What do you want me to do? And Truman thinks about it for a second. He goes, 
you, you need to do what you think is best. So Stalin looks at him, sizes up Truman, he goes, I'll just keep stalling him. I just wanted you to know. So again, so Stalin is, is telling the American president, look, they're trying to talk to us and I'm going to stall him if that, I'm going to keep stalling him that's, if that's okay with you because I've already promised FDR and now you that we will get into the war three months from now. And that obviously was what Truman wanted at the time because he wanted to carry on uh, FDR's legacy and he wanted help so this wouldn't stretch on forever. So again, so, the, so the Americans knew that the Japanese were trying to give up. They just hadn't worked out the details. But I, I just didn't know that side story. I just wanted to put that out there. But, of course, as you say, the Americans knew it because they were intercepting exactly. the Japanese um, exactly. cables. Now, here's, here's the thing that I want to explore over this episode, next few episodes. In, in the 73 years, I think, that have passed since the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, poll after poll in the United States has shown that most Americans still to this very day mm-hmm. think that the bombings were totally justified. And on top of that, that the bombings saved a huge number of American lives that would have been lost in an invasion of Japan, which would have had to have been carried out to end the war. Right. The way- this is the conversation. Yeah. Sorry, I was, uh, this is the conversation I had with Markham 10 years ago in a joke. Say, well, you know, you dropping the bombs was a terrible <laughs> thing, but... If we hadn't have dropped the bombs, we would have had to invade. And I was like, no, you wouldn't have had to invade. I mean, they, they were going to give up, man. Like within maybe weeks or at least a month or two, they would have surrendered anyway. The invasion wasn't planned for November. Well, I, I don't know about that. And here's, this is the question. I wonder, why are Americans yeah. still believing this lie all these years later, uh, uh, there was a poll conducted in 2015 that found that 56% of Americans believed that the bombings were necessary to avoid an invasion. Now, that's down from 85% mm-hmm. in 1945. Progress. No, Progress, yeah. <laughs> but still, over half of yeah. Americans still believe this myth. And I and I I, I kind of want to understand yeah. some of the reasons behind that. So are you going to say something? If, yeah, a, a multi-layered response. Um, this is what I was taught in high school. We dropped the bomb, the first bomb, <clears throat> and they didn't surrender. And then we dropped the second bomb to show them that the first bomb wasn't a fluke or that we had the ability to make more. And then they surrendered. So Russia in no way comes up in what I was taught in high school. And if you think about it, and we don't have to go into the too much detail now, but there's a lot of lies uh, on every on every side of this when it comes to this war. It is known that Emperor Hirohito, when he when he gives this message about having to sur- surrender, instead of saying we surrender because there's no way we can take on the United States, Britain, and now Russia all at the same time. And if the Russians take the Kural and the Sakhalin Islands, they will be 21 miles away from Japan proper. We can't do that. Instead of waiting for the Americans to invade us in months, the Russians can be here in weeks. So we surrender. But but here's the thing. The emperor can't go on the radio and say, we give up because we were outmatched, we were outfought, they have superior technology, or they're better fighters. There's no way the emperor can say that to his country of, that has a warrior tradition. He has to say, there's this incredible bomb that we had no idea they could make. This was There was no way we could foresee this. And so it gives the emperor 
in a very ironic way, an out. He needed the bomb to get his country to surrender, but now he's using the bomb to justify it. And to answer your other question about why do Americans think that, because we want to hold on to that. If you tell us we dropped two atomic bombs, not we, because I wasn't there, but our country dropped two atomic bombs when we didn't have to. What does that make us? Yes, we were killing even more people with firebombs, which is, to me is in and of itself is horrific, but that's the way, that's the way wars are ended. But, but we have to hold on to that belief because what does that make us if we drop these two bombs and it wasn't necessary? We have to hold on to that. Yeah, it's what I call the great American myth that America can do no wrong. And if it does do wrong, well, it was either an accident or the result of bad intel or it was a few bad eggs or it was necessary. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, So anyway, let's um, get back to the story. So. As we're going to see, and and, and I've I've quoted uh, American military and political leaders before from Admiral Leahy Mm -hmm. (laughs) to MacArthur and Eisenhower and Woodrow Wilson, they all said, after the fact, they didn't think the bombing was necessary. Can I respond to that real yes. quick? I, apo- I apologize. Mm. Uh, I have to mm-hmm. respond to that. When you mentioned that, now I know that was a couple of episodes ago. The very first thing I thought was, we now know, and, and we're going to talk about this later, how truly horrific the power of the bombs were. And I, I genuinely believed it was those American military leaders and, and political leaders that were trying to cover their ass saying, this is horrible. We should have never done it. It wasn't needed. I thought they were just covering their ass. Um, and that way you can just shift all the blame onto Truman. And as we're going to find out later on, another individual. But going through the research to get ready for these shows, I mean, you are absolutely right. These guys were the entire time saying, we don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need it. Look at their they're prostrate before us. We don't need it. We can wait them out. So, so all those quotes that you gave, and you gave a very long list of quotes, they were all accurate. These people did feel that way, and they said so repeatedly before the bombs were dropped. Um, in 1990, J. Samuel Walker, who was the chief historian of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, wrote, The consensus among scholars is that the bomb was not needed to, in- to avoid an invasion of Japan and to end the war within a relatively short time. It is clear that alternatives to the bomb existed and that Truman and his advisers knew it. Mm. So what the hell? So again, this this isn't uh, revisionist conspiracy theories. This has been known for a long time by historians. Now, does it mean that dropping the bombs was wrong? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, I'm not trying to put myself into the shoes of American leaders in 1945. But I think there are two questions we can legitimately ask. One. Did American military and government leaders in 1945 think that they had to use or should use the bomb to bring about Japan's surrender? And two, why do the majority of Americans still think all these years later that it was necessary if historians tend to say that it wasn't? Now, the answer to the second one, I think, is partly to do with the media. Over the last 70-odd years, most journalists 
when writing about this, have reported what government officials said about the decision back in the late 40s -hmm. as if it were fact, evidence to the contrary notwithstanding. Um, And this gets back to the great American myth. You know, I think that um, the media likes to buy into this, generally speaking, the great American myth. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't like to question America's... uh, 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 White hat policy? Well, self-perception of always doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. always being the good guys. Yeah, that's us. You know, if... I don't know. I think if the media dispelled that myth, it would uh, bring uh, uh, criticism of them, the journalist or the paper. I mean, there are elements of it do. It's not like uh, no one questions it in America. But generally speaking, they tend to just uh, keep pushing these stories forward. Um, so how was the decision made and why? That's what I really want to drill into. Now, as we've talked about in the past... The, the Potsdam Declaration was demanding unconditional surrender, and, and this is what they'd been demanding going way back to Yalta and before. It's what they demanded of Germany. It's what they were demanding of Japan, unconditional surrender. Truman inherited this from Roosevelt. Yeah. But as we've touched on before, what this meant was unclear. They never really explained what was going to happen to Japan afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Did it mean, for example, that Japan, like Hawaii, was going to become an American colony? Ah. Or did it mean the emperor was going to be executed? They didn't really clarify those sorts of things. Yeah, you actually bring up a good point, which sounds strange because you would think to, to us today in 2018, it's a given fact that we weren't trying to take over Japan. We just wanted their army and their Navy, their armed forces to stop resisting and to give up. But, but you can't use obviously um, hindsight or views from 2018. That was a real concern of Japan because like you said, it wasn't being spelt out because if you use the example of Germany, it was invaded, it was occupied, it was split up, and it was taken over. There was, you know, you had these four powers in Germany with their army, and so the Japan has got to assume, why would they not, that the exact same thing was going to be happening to them. They would lose their identity, they would lose their ability to function as a country, they would lose their government, and they would certainly lose their emperor. So unless you tell them otherwise, how could they not assume the exact same thing that happened to Germany is going to happen to them? And, and, you know, I guess we also need to keep in mind that uh, when in 1945, America had annexed Hawaii only 50 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the Japanese yeah. were well aware of that, obviously. Um, they had a little bit of involvement in Hawaii. So, you know, they, they might have been assuming, uh, I think it would have been reasonable to assume, that maybe America was going to do that to Hawaii as well, just uh, take it over right. and uh, maybe execute the emperor and all that kind of stuff. They really they didn't know what was going to happen, and the Americans didn't try and clarify that either. Now, of course, we know that in the end, uh, Truman didn't hesitate to modify the unconditional surrender policy. After the bomb was used, the emperor stayed, of course. Emperor stayed until 1989, and there's an emperor there today. By the way, 
Did you know that currently the Emperor of Japan is the only head of state in the world with the title of Emperor? I did not. I did not. I mean, that'll change soon after Trump stages his false flag attacks on the United (laughs) States and declares himself Emperor. But for the moment... We are going to double that number when our time comes. Now, and did you know? Yeah. Uh, 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 did you know that Hirohito's name changed when he died? I knew it changed when he became emperor. What did it change to when he died? His posthumous name is Emperor Showa. Ah, yeah. The word Showa. I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I hope so because <laughs> I wouldn't want to break my track record. Um, the, the word Showa is the name of the era, the Showa period mm-hmm. of his reign, which uh, translates apparently as the period of enlightened peace and harmony. Aww. What happened? So, uh, well, that was what happened. They got t- two nuclear bombs dropped on them. But uh, well, no. it's the period of enlightened peace no. and harmony for the J- Japanese. Well, before- and Godzilla attacked uh, <laughs> like several times. But uh, they're all happy. Apparently, the name Hirohito meant abundant benevolence. Right. And now it's the period of enlightened peace and harmony is his name. Nice to know that that's what they think about that period. <laughs> well, just just keep in mind that before the two, two atomic bombs in Godzilla, uh, the military had taken over and militarized the entire country. So uh, they were going to war whether the emperor wanted it or not because the military staged a coup. But... Uh, Shit, I had a point, and now, oh, yeah, just real quick, and I know you're going to go into detail in about this. Um, we, like you said a second ago, Truman never changed. Truman never clarified what would happen to the emperor before, during, after, whatever occupation. But we now know, because these records, like I said, some of them haven't been released until 1989, the sheer tonnage of times the converse, there was a conversation about someone advising Truman Clarify what the fuck your intentions are towards the emperor, towards Japan in general, and we can end this shit right now. Yeah, and we're, we're going to okay. pull up some examples of that as we go. But you're right in that it was well understood by American and British military and political leaders that the only thing that was stopping Japan from surrendering was... The, turn, the clarifying what was going to happen to the emperor and and possibly a way to allow enable them to to get out of it and save save face but particularly it was the the fate of the emperor that was the key thing that needed to be clarified and uh, just wasn't and yeah. we'll we'll try and figure out why now i i think that some americans certainly some americans i've spoken to over the years seem to think that demanding an unconditional surrender surrender was obvious back then mm-hmm. that yes well when you're at war with someone like this that's what you do and fuck them if they don't like it that's the attitude that i hear a lot you know certainly yeah unconditional fuck you if you don't like it and fair enough um i, I get that yeah um it's war fuck that. yeah okay it's war they hit us first is the the american myth um, we've explained before that well, it's not quite that simple. Um, you, you were having uh, you were at war with Japan before Pearl Harbor. It was an economic war, um, but still. Um, but as you say, was was kind of well known at the time in 1945 that this unconditional surrender was probably a problem and that it should be changed. Now, 
The question that I want to ask is, if the goal was to end the war as quickly as possible to prevent further American deaths, Mm -hmm. which is always the justification that's used for the bombings, why not negotiate the quickest possible surrender by coming up with some agreeable terms months before the bombing? If, If the goal was to end the war, why not try and figure out how to clarify the terms of surrender and bring about an earlier surrender. On, the May, on May 9th, 1945, the Washington Post published an article that actually called for a conditional surrender. They said, look, demanding an unconditional surrender is just going to drive some elements of the Japanese military to choose to die fighting rather than be enslaved or see the emperor executed. Mm-hmm. So let's just uh, clarify this for them and get it over with. Well, so it, it yeah. so there were Americans calling for this months before Hiroshima. Well, well, the one thing that we get reminded of in America, especially now with Trump being president, is that the whisper of a president is louder than the scream from anyone else. And as we're going to go into there were people right under Truman who were, you know, let's do this, let's figure this out, let's 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 do this, and and we're stating again and again and again, we're intercepting their messages. There's messages coming from OSS from from Japanese ambassadors of other countries. If we clarify the emperor, we can end this today. All of that doesn't matter until Truman decides to make a change in policy. Unconditional surrender is the policy, and the military has to act according to that. So as Truman likes to say. The buck stopped with him. The whisper of a president. Do you think Trump can whisper? This is me whispering. I have no idea. I have no idea that the man can whisper. I think he killed his wife. No, go ahead. (laughs) I think there's a body double. Saddam had body double. She's got a body double. Anyway, continue. The British Foreign Office had long concluded the same thing, that they needed to clarify the terms. And on uh, May 13th, in his weekly report back to London, the British ambassador, Lord Halifax, quoted the Washington Post article and saying they were supporting what had been the British position for a long time. Like, we we need to clarify what's going on here or what's going to happen afterwards. This would have been when uh, Churchill was still PM, too. There's there's another part of that. I'm sorry. There's another part of that. Even though Britain wanted a change, Churchill was talking to his colleagues about a change. The British were too fearful and wise to bring it up front to Truman because if if they had said we should switch this to something else and America does it, then Britain suddenly becomes a scapegoat. They're the ones who are being seen weak. Look, we didn't want to take it easy on the Japs, but our British partners made us, and so we had to give into it. So Britain was smart enough. They were politically wise enough not to make it a formal request because if they had gone along with it, boom, scapegoats. And then they've got to live with that in the history books for the next hundred years. And it wasn't only the British that that um, wanted to clarify this. On April 18th, a Joint Intelligence Committee report to the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the US mm-hmm. concluded, we believe that the Japanese government will endeavour to find some formula for ending the war without having the stigma of absolute unconditional surrender attached to it. If such a formula can be found, which would be acceptable to the Allies... 
we believe that Japan might surrender without the invasion of Japan proper. So nearly four months before Hiroshima. Yeah. This is the report that's been given to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And, and if I can add on to that, the joint, joint Staff Planners on April 25th, writing about the Pacific strategy, said, In no case to date have organized Japanese units surrendered. The concept is foreign to the Japanese nature. Therefore, unconditional surrender should be defined in terms understandable to the Japanese. Tell them what to expect. Unless we do this, there is no alternative to annihilation and no prospect that the threat of absolute defeat will bring about capitulation. So again, we're the experts. We advise the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Explain this to them so they understand so we can move forward. But again, that wasn't happening. Right. And the question that it keeps popping up in my mind is why not? Yeah. I mean, it seems pretty clear that the highest levels of, of advice to the Joint Chiefs of Staff months before, months before Hiroshima mm-hmm. were making it very clear that demanding an unconditional surrender wasn't going to work and that the language needed to change. But it didn't change. Why? What was stopping the Americans from clarifying this? Now, you know, we need to keep in mind that FDR died on April 12th Hitler died on April 30th. Mm-hmm. So things are a little crazy around this time. Yeah. I get that. Give Truman like a week, yeah. week and a half. <laughs> Truman <laughs> is, is trying to get up to speed. Uh, he's just learning about Manhattan Project around this time. <laughs> FDR's dead. Yeah. Hitler's dead. You know, the, the German surrender's happening. There, all this shit is going on. I understand he's probably a little busy, but... You know, ending the war with Japan must have been pretty high on his list of things. Like when he woke you up in the so? morning yeah. and he had to think about his daily things to get done today. Number one. Uh, number one, uh, 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 pat myself on the back. Um, can't believe I'm the president. Woo-hoo! That's pretty fucking awesome. Number two, uh, end the war with Japan. I think that's pretty high on the list, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And And... As we'll see, everyone was telling him, hey, here's a way you could end the war with Japan. Yeah. Now, on May 9th, he did give a speech, same day as the Washington Post's uh, article. He did give a speech where he declared that the unconditional surrender of Japan did not mean their enslavement or extermination. Ah. Which would have been a fear. But again, doesn't mention anything about what would happen to Hirohito. So at least he's saying you're not going to become another Hawaii, but that's as far as he's going. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Joint Chiefs took the report that they got seriously and started discussing what they should do. There was a general agreement amongst the Joint Chiefs of Staff that it should be clarified that unconditional surrender should refer explicitly to the armed forces. Mm Mm-hmm. And that there should be an explicit reference made to the authority of the existing imperial institution. Hmm. That was their position on it. On May 28th, 1945, the acting Secretary of State, Joseph Grew, we've talked about before, he was the former ambassador to Japan, Mm -hmm. visited with Truman and said, listen, I think we can end the war quickly. He said, I think we should modify the terms of unconditional surrender to permit Japan to retain the emperor if the people still want him, 
Just say that we want to destroy the military machine. We want to blot out the cult of militarism. But he said the Japanese are fanatical people and are capable of fighting to the last ditch and the last man. And the greatest obstacle to unconditional surrender by the Japanese is their belief that this would entail the destruction or permanent removal of the emperor and the institution of the throne. Um, and, you know, we, we need to just uh, qualify this. So this is coming from the acting sec. He's the acting secretary of state because... Stimson, um, Stimson, Stintinius. 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 fuck steady, steady, Big steady, yeah, steady was uh, in San Francisco doing the United Nations thing, I think, at the time. So yeah. he was busy with that. Yeah. So grew, grew. So the Secretary of State basically is saying to Truman, "Hey, listen, uh, let's just fucking do this, and we can end the war today, yeah. right? Probably." And, and again, what, and what was uh, didn't happen? Truman's response. True. Well, this is the fascinating thing, but I'll get into that in, okay, in a second. Um, yeah, let me. So, well, yeah, true. So Truman said, um, "Look, I, I like where you're at with this. I like the thinking. Pull together a meeting of Stimson, Marshall, Forrestal, few other guys, and and talk about it, mm-hmm. which they did the next day, May 29th." Now, meanwhile, the, the former president, Herbert Hoover, who's a Republican, by the way, mm-hmm. Truman, obviously, Democrat, Hoover, Republican, met with Truman on May 28th and, again, said the same thing. <laughs> the, uh, the allies need to state clearly that we're not trying to destroy the Japanese people or the emperor. Um, Truman passed Hoover's memo on to Gruen Stimson. Mm-hmm. Stimson then referred it to his staff for review a week later, the staff uh, 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 sent it back and said uh, to uh, said the proposal for of a public declaration of war aims, in effect, giving definition to unconditional surrender, has definite merit if it is carefully handled. Ah. So the Washington Post, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a former president, the <laughs> acting Secretary of State, the Republican Stimson Party staff, yeah. Simpson's Secretary for War, right? They're all saying, and even Truman's agreeing that it makes sense. Yeah. That that they should clarify this. On May 29th, Gru had his meeting with Marshall, Forrestal, a few other a few other guys. Mm-hmm. They all agreed. Yes, uh we, we need to clarify this. But a couple of the guys in the room said it's not the time for the president to make any statements for certain military reasons. They wouldn't say what those are. <laughs> but that's what they said. Listen, you're, you're right. Absolutely. Everyone agreed yeah. we should clarify this because it would make them surrender. But we can't do it for certain military reasons. Now, normally you would like to just yell bullshit, but when you have... Uh, Henry Stimson, who's 77 years old and he's sick, uh, Admiral Forrest, uh, excuse me, Forrestal, Secretary of the Navy, and General Marshall across the table looking at you, telling you, yes, but not now. I mean, that's a pretty weighty, um, for- formative team opposing you. So, again, what in the hell is the reason? All they would say was that the timing was, would be very crucial whenever we do say something, even though we don't know what we're going to say yet. Now, Stimson kept a diary which uh, became available 
many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the diary, he explained what these certain military reasons were. Of course, it was the bomb. Now, some people in the room weren't aware of its existence, oh. which is why they couldn't say that. Right. Um, one guy who was in the room who did know about it was the Assistant Secretary of War, McCloy. Now, he said the guys in his own uh, memoirs or, or diaries, uh, I think it's his diaries, he said the guys who knew about the bomb had a meeting after the meeting. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he said in that meeting, General Marshall said that he thought the bomb should be used first against straight military objectives, such as large naval installation. Mm-hmm. And then if there was no result from that, then they should designate a number of large manufacturing areas from which people should be warned to leave to- and that they should... Yeah. Hold on. And that they... That was... A, I was pausing for dramatic <laughs> effect there. That they should be made to... (laughs) He said, um, telling the Japanese that we intend to destroy such centres, every effort should be made to keep our record of warning clear. We must offset by such warning methods of opprobrium which might follow from an ill-considered employment of such force. So General Marshall is saying... (laughs) We should first attack a straight military objective. If we get, if we use the bomb, straight military objective, if that doesn't work, large manufacturing areas where we should warn people we'll get the civilians out because we're mm-hmm. going to do some bad shit here. Right. And and he said we don't want to, we, we you know we don't want to uh, be indiscriminate about how we use this fucking thing because it you know could come back and bite us on the ass later. Now again, I, and this this ties in with what Alex Wallerstein said in his interview. Because the, the, the point here is, um, let's clarify the record so to give the Japanese the face they need to surrender. And General Marshall skips right over that and says, no, 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 when we use the bomb, let's give people warning and let's make it very clear that we're giving warning so we can make a note of our giving warning and we can be very proud of our giving a warning that we're going to drop this bomb. Just like Alex said, there didn't seem to be a discussion a serious discussion about whether or not to use the bomb. Yeah, um, and and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. The interim committee and these sorts of stuff. But this is, I think, this this is something I want to stick on for a sure. second. So again, Americans, uh, I think, generally a lot of the ones I speak to, anyway, um, seem to be of the opinion that dropping. Uh, the bomb without warning on Hiroshima and then Nagasaki was the right thing to do. But here we have General Marshall, one of the most respected and I think uh, 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 admired Mm -hmm. uh, members of the American military ever, particularly World War II, saying, you know, his position on it in, in, in May was, no, we should drop it only on a military target. And if we're going to go beyond that, we should give them warning first. Right. That was his view, which obviously got ignored, but that was the view of Marshall at the time. And and so I think that's uh that's kind of kind of interesting. If I can add on to that, as much as I respect Marshall, because the man knew how to run a war, he has been criticized by some historians about 
about being only a good soldier, being a really bad politician, and he did not ever, according to them, try to help make policy, but just implement what was ever given to him. And like we said a, a little while ago, until you know, since Truman hasn't changed the unconditional surrender, that's something that's not, not even that he's not even planning for. So again, that could be a weakness of uh, of uh, Marshall's. I don't know. But the other the other thing that uh, I think McCoy, I think it was McCoy, who somebody wrote in their diary about. Maybe the plan could be let's delay making a decision so we could try to figure out what we're going to say about the emperor. And then if we ever do clarify that and Japan doesn't surrender, then we can drop the bomb. But this is a whole bunch of if, ands, or buts, and it's not getting anything done. And as, and as each day goes by, more Americans are dying and obviously tens of thousands of uh, Japanese are dying each day. What was uh, Marshall's role at this stage? Chief of Staff? Chief of Staff, yeah. Right. Uh, no, no, no. That was Leahy's Chief of Staff. He's in command of the Joint... Uh, Marshall's in command of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Whatever the proper term. I don't remember his exact term, but Leahy's Chief of Staff. Marshall's in charge of all of the armed forces in that regard. He was chief of staff at some point. Yes, he is going to be. I didn't want to. I didn't want to ruin it. But when we mentioned a certain person who was uh, vital to all of this, he doesn't last very long, and George Marshall is going to take his place. Mm, yeah. No. Before that, um, Marshall was chief of staff uh, at the beginning of the war. I, I think was, uh, he, uh, maybe I'm getting my terms army. mixed up. Sorry. He was the chief of staff of the army, mm-hmm. Marshal. Lay was uh, the president's chief of staff. Right. Marshal was the chief of staff of the army at the beginning of the war. Right. Okay. I think that is the way it breaks down. He ends up as the Secretary of Defense after the war. But, um, yeah, I think that's what he was uh, during the war. And he ends up as Secretary of State as well at right. some point um, after the war, before he becomes um, Secretary of Defense. Anywho, um, so getting back to the sort of the timeline, um, May 29th, the U.S. intercepted a discussion between Molotov and Sato. Molotov asked Sato's view of how long the Pacific War would last, and Sato replied, Japan follows Russia's example in her desire to end hostilities as quickly as possible. The Pacific War, however, is a matter of life and death for Japan, and as a result of America's attitude, we have no choice but to continue the fight. Note that at least from Sato's point of view, or the way he's positioning it to Molotov, at least, it's America's attitude that's driving Japan's choice to fight to the bitter end. Right. Mm. Which seems to be about the unconditional surrender. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I see the point, but as an American, I'm like, really, you're the one choosing to, yeah, we're not giving you what you need to surrender, but you're getting your ass kicked on a daily basis. You could surrender without us theoretically giving you what you need. But again, again, now that we understand the the Japanese culture a lot more, no, they could not. They would rather have the honorable 100 million deaths before losing a battle, before losing the war. Before losing the emperor. And it's not now we understand that. It's what I'm trying to explain is they fucking knew that at the time. This isn't... 
new information. The Americans knew that, the British knew that in 1945. Right. I wanted, and, and that ties into something you said at the very beginning of the show. All of those anti-atomic bomb quotes that you gave a couple of episodes tied in with the fact that everybody in 1945 knew this, and we don't know it now. The majority of Americans don't know it now. And I don't know about other countries, but the majority of Americans don't know it now in 2018. Like you were saying, what happened between 1945 and now where all that information has been has disappeared. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, that, I guess that's one of the reasons why I've always been um, fascinated with this question is because before I started reading history, like in my in my twenties, um, I I believed because I'd sort of absorbed it through osmosis. I guess yeah. just American in Australian yeah. culture and American, you know, TV and movies and yeah, that kind of stuff. But. That it was the dropping of the bomb that ended the war, therefore it was a horrible thing, but it had to happen and it was justified. I mean, I, I had none of the, right. no no perspective on the other side of the story. I was shocked when I first started reading up on the subject um, 20 years ago that uh, there was a lot more to the story that I wasn't aware of. Right. Um, We'll wrap this episode up, but I just want to touch a couple of things, uh, more things. Now, Roosevelt's former right-hand man, Harry Hopkins, was on a presidential mission to Moscow at the end of May. And he reported Stalin as saying something like, according to his information, the Japanese would not accept conditional surrender. And that if we stick to unconditional surrender, the Japs will not give up and we will have to destroy them as we did Germany. So Stalin's saying it, the British are saying it, the Americans understand it. Everyone fucking knows that this thing is a problem. Right. On the 2nd of June, 1945, an OSS report, the OSS was the predecessor to the CIA, Mm -hmm. uh, OSS report to Truman uh, of a late May meeting with a Japanese representative in Portugal stated that peace terms were unimportant as long as the term unconditional surrender was avoided. So we will accept any, th- any peace terms. Right. Doesn't matter. You, you just tell us what we have to do. We'll take it. Just, you know, avoid the term unconditional surrender and we'll surrender. Right. On June 22nd, the Joint Chiefs of Staff received a message that Fujimura who apparently was one of the major representatives of the Japanese Navy based in Europe, insisted that the Japanese would require assurances that the emperor would be retained before they could surrender. Yeah, just give us that. Now, look, I could go on citing evidence till the cows come home that the upper echelons of the American government and military all understood that they had to clarify the terms. I feel like I'm fucking beating this horse for all it's worth. Um, But I won't. I'll draw a line under it there for now. But I just want to say that if ending the war as quickly as possible was the ultimate goal, which is what's always claimed, Mm -hmm. that's why we dropped the bomb. We wanted to end the war as quickly as possible to save American lives. Why the fuck didn't they do something about this months and months earlier? 
let me throw out an American response. If we if we didn't give Germany any conditions, could we give Japan any conditions? Now, obviously, that's an oversimplified question, but do do you get my point? I mean, like, why should we take it easy on them when they were the guys who sucker punched us at Pearl Harbor? We didn't give um, Germany any slack. But you gave Japan slack after they surrendered. You said, sure, you can keep the emperor. We don't care. You did it anyway. It wasn't a problem. Right, but we didn't. I see your point, but we didn't, for whatever reason, we didn't say it, or we didn't say that we were going to do it, that we were going to be even a little bit magnanimous beforehand. We just let them think the worst, and we kept going with that. But the, to answer your question, why would we do that? To, to, to end the war and save hundreds of thousands of American lives. Yes, that's why you would do it. So what's our priority? Isn't <laughs> I can only think of a couple of possible reasons, or maybe four reasons. Number one, they wanted to grind Japan into the ground as revenge for Pearl Harbor. That's completely human. And yet, yeah. yes, it is. And yet all of the indications are that the top military and political leaders of the US stated that they did not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Even Truman, right? We don't want the enslavement or extermination of the Japanese, right? So that wasn't the motivation. It wasn't this bloody revenge because there's there's plenty of evidence that no one was thinking that way. Okay, maybe they just didn't want to leave Japan with any military or political capabilities. Like Stalin wanted to destroy Germany completely. Right. Maybe they wanted to do that uh, with Uh. Japan, but, but... Surely there was a way of doing that and also assuring the Japanese about the future of the emperor, which, again, is what basically happened in the end. Mm-hmm. Look, you, you, you can't have a military. Oh, we're going to put 50,000 of our troops on the island in perpetuity. Keep the emperor. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> but you, you, you can't militarize. Right. 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 So what they ended up doing with Japan. They could have said that right then and there. Boom. Done. Ended the war months earlier. Yeah. But we didn't. Three. Maybe here's another option. They didn't do it. They wanted to use the bomb. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see if it worked. They wanted to use it on real targets in a time of war. I mean, they were pretty sure Little Boy was going to work. They didn't know about Fat Man until Trinity in mid July, but they wanted to drop it. They wanted to. Right. We'll explore that in the next episode. And the fourth possible reason is just optics. They didn't want it to appear as though America gave up or that they were going easy on Japan by negotiating terms. Now, to me, that's... And again, that, that seems to be an American view I've heard a lot. But that's kind of fucking bullshit. I mean... Throughout history, armies and, and, and military leaders have negotiated terms. That's, that's to, to end wars quickly. That's just what you do. Fucking Napoleon negotiated terms yeah. over and over again with, with his enemies um, when he was victorious. I'm talking, you know, in, in the good years. Right. Um, when he didn't have to, he could have kept going and crushed them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he had the moral justification. Well, they attacked us first, so fuck them. We're going to wipe them out. But that's not what you do. Right. The, you got to think about the tomorrow. objective. Yeah. Yeah. The objective has always been okay, not always, but usually for, for, for sane, for sane and rational uh, uh, military leaders going back to Julius Caesar or even Alexander the Great. We've seen this, right? You and I have done hundreds of fucking hours on this. Um, the objective is, has usually been, doesn't matter who your enemy is, doesn't matter who started what, who punched first, who did what. The objective is always win the war as quickly as possible so you can get on with other things. You can get back to the economy, you can avoid further loss of life, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Just ne- negotiate terms, whether it's, uh, with Parthia, or whether it's with the Persians, or whether it's with the Greeks, so it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. You just get ready for the next you, war. You get, yeah, you, you you shut the fucking thing down as quickly as you possibly can with reasonable terms that everyone can live with, and then you get on with farming and fucking your wives and having more kids and and rebuilding, <laughs> right? Right, because war war is expensive. Yeah. And it brings about bloodshed, and only really insane people want to continue that just for bloody revenge reasons. Most people, including all those guys I mentioned—Napoleon, Caesar, Alexander—wanted to get get it over with as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. so they could get back to what's really important, which is nation building. Ah. Uh. So there's no. What's that line from uh, Serenity? Uh, this is an honourable death. There is no shame in this. You know, it's an honourable peace, negotiating terms. There's no dishonour in negotiating an early end to the war, particularly if you can nullify your enemy. If if you have such a a, a strong hand in the negotiations, you can nullify your enemy's ability to come back at you in five years, which the Americans were obviously in a position to do. So anyway... That's all I got. That's all I got to say for that, man. I think we we drew a line under this episode. There. What mm-hmm. do you think? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, um, we'll be back next week with uh, more discussion about uh, Truman's decision making process, and um, let's go out with this. <laughs> What's up with that? What's up? I say, what's up? What is up with that? What is up with that? What is up with that? Now, if you go to the movies, don't get too much liquid butter. 